All right, turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6. The title of our message today is, Where Did It Fall? And I guess if you want to put a subtitle on that message, we could call it God's Recover Function. Uh, there's so many miracles in the life of Elisha who we're studying through this series uh, that, that are just incredible and dramatic. Last week we looked at Elisha t- taking Elijah's cloak and slapping it against the Jordan River and, and the river opens up and he walks across. Uh, if you get to chapter 4 in Second Kings, which we're actually going to talk about here in the next couple of weeks, uh, there's a widow who has nothing and she has just a little jar of oil and Elisha blesses that oil and asks God to do something with it. And, and so that oil multiplies. She pours it into a new jar and another jar and another jar. And the oil continues to multiply to pay off this widow's debts. Later on in chapter 4, there's a woman who's barren. And uh, she's able to get a child. And then that child dies. And so Elisha lays over the top of the child. Uh, basically, he planks this kid, uh, is what my wife said when we read it this week. He's like, she, to- she totally just planked him, which is awesome if you know what planking is. Uh, it was like a trend from last year. It's kind of old. But uh, so he lays straight over this kid, breathes into the kid's mouth, and the kid comes back to life. Dramatic, powerful, supernatural. Uh, time after time, following the life of Elisha, these incredible things happen. Later on, uh, they go to battle, and Elisha prays, and the enemy army is all struck with blindness. That's a nice trick. Uh, that's something that can come in handy. So all these things are going down, and yet here in Second Kings chapter 6, there's a, a miracle that in the life of Elisha, if you look at it like I do, you might think it kind of seems out of place because this one seems so small and so insignificant and, and so just kind of random. Uh, it seems so, so minor in comparison to all these major works of God. But I believe that there's something in this story for us today. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today. We're going to stand to our feet in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're just going to read seven verses together. If you would, just stand up as we read through God's Word together. It'll be on the screens. You can read it in your Bible or on your Bible app. Starting in verse 1, it says, The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. That's like the story of most Americans right there, right? We can identify with that. Uh, Our government, our people, it was borrowed. Uh, Verse 6, the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there, and he made the iron float. Lifted out, he said, and the man reached out his hand and took it. We're going to start today with, with verse 7 and then kind of work backwards into this story and see what God would have for us. But here's what I would lead off with. Did you know that God wants to help you recover whatever it is that you've lost in your life? No matter how insignificant it might seem to the outside world, oh, it's just an accent, it's not that big of a deal. If it's something that, that bothers you, if it's something that has caused a loss in your life, God wants to help you recover it. We serve a God of recovery. We serve a God of restoration. But you've got to reach out and take it. 
See, it didn't just come back into this guy's hand. It came back to the surface. God brought it to the surface, but he had to reach out and grab hold of it. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to make a decision right now, not to just sit back, kind of relax through this service. I want you to be proactive. I want you to lean in. I want you to see what God could speak to you today. Because I believe that God's got something for you to take hold of this morning. I believe God's got something in his word that's going to revolutionize your life. And yet you've got to reach out and take it. So this might seem a little awkward or a little weird, but I'm going to ask you, take your hand and just make a fist and just put it out there like you're grabbing hold of something. Like you've got a death grip on that thing that God has for you. And I'm going to pray over you this morning. Father God, you see the, these people who are stepping out in faith and stretching out their hands saying, I know that you've got something for me today. God, I pray that they could take hold of whatever it is that you bring to the surface in their life. God, whatever it is that you bring into the surface of, of where it fell, of where they lost their momentum, of where things started to go wrong, Lord, I pray that they would be able to see it, they'd be able to grab hold of that thing that they lost, and that you would restore momentum and move them forward into your best for their life. God, I thank you for what you're going to do today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You can have a seat. I love how in this passage it kicks off with the prophets who are serving the main prophet, who is Elisha. They are in this company of the prophets. It starts with them taking initiative. They come to Elisha and they say, dude, we got a problem. The place where we're meeting, the place where we're living, the place where ministry is going down isn't big enough. We need to build a bigger church. We need to build a bigger building. We need to find a bigger place for us to come together. The problem is we have outgrown the place that God has given us, the place where we're meeting. We've gotten too big. Our ministry's gotten too large. We need something larger. And the truth is, momentum creates problems in your life. You know that? You ever had another kid? Create some problems in your life. Man, it's, it adds something. We got like three engaged couples here today. I promise you, getting married is going to create some problems in your life. They're just good problems to have. They're the kind of problems that you want. But momentum creates problems. Anytime you get a new job, it's going to create some new problems, some new issues in your life. Start serving in a new ministry. There's new problems that will arise. Momentum creates problems. It's the kind of problems you want. On Christmas Eve, we had uh, just kind of this amazing packed house, and uh, Kenneth was our, our head usher that night. And I remember asking him when he showed up early, I was like, man, I think we need to put out some extra rows. I really think we're going to have a big turnout. We got a lot of buzz for this service. And so he goes and, and gets his team, and they set out uh, all these, they set out some extra rows. And so I'm looking at it, and people are starting to file in, and I'm starting to get nervous, like, are we going to have enough room for everybody? Like, are, are we ready for this? And so I go back to Kenneth. I'm like, man, can we put out some more chairs? And he's like, that's all we got. Uh, and I was like sweating, like, oh, my gosh. We're going to have people like standing room only, holding candles, burning their hand off. It's going to be a bad night. Uh, see, momentum creates problems. And yet how much greater problem is that than having rows and rows of empty seats? Man, God, give us those kind of problems. And Second Kings, they've got a problem because their ministry's grown too big and they don't have enough room for everybody. God, give us that problem. Give us the problem that we've got to go out and build a new building. Give us that problem. That's the kind of problem I'm praying for in our church. You see, momentum's going to create some problems in your life. When God restores your momentum, when you recover momentum and start moving forward into his best, it's going to create some issues. It's going to bring up some problems. It's just the kind of problems that you want to have. So be ready. Be prepared. 
But what I love about this story is it's the people that are the initiating the process. Elisha isn't going to them and trying to convince them, hey, we got to build a bigger church. Hey, we got to build a bigger building. The people are coming to him, and they're saying, hey, we need a bigger place to meet. I want to pastor a church like that. I want to pastor a church where we don't have to beg people to serve. We don't have to beg people to get plugged in. We don't have to beg people to participate. We don't have to beg people to give. Where people are looking to take the initiative. And you see, I believe that God created his kingdom pretty much on an economy like that, where he has empowered his people, and then he said, hey, I want you to take some initiative. I want you to take the ball. I don't want to spoon feed you. I don't want to hold your hand through everything. Yes, I'm going to be with you. Yes, I'm going to go with you. But I'm looking for some people who will take some initiative. I think that's what God's looking for from us. And I think that when we do that, when we are willing to step up and take the initiative, just like these prophets did in 2 Kings, I think there's no limit to what God can do through us and what he will do in our, in our church, in our body, in our lives. So they asked for Elisha's permission. Hey, can we go do this? Can we build a bigger building? And then in verse 2, part B, he says, yes. He says, go. He sends them. And then one of them said in verse 3, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. Now, when you study God's word, whether you're studying Old Testament, New Testament, no matter what you're looking at, it's always important to look for Jesus. You see, I believe that Jesus is in every section of Scripture, and sometimes it's not explicit. Sometimes his name will be there. Sometimes it won't. But there's always, even in the Old Testament, there's types, there's shadows, there's hints of who Jesus is and what is to come. And right here we see an incredible foreshadow of Matthew chapter 28. You see, in Matthew 28, it's the final chapter of Matthew's gospel. and the very end of the chapter, the last three verses are what we know as the Great Commission. Jesus sending his disciples out. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 18. Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Same word that Elisha used. He said go. He's permission. Letting them go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus gives his blessing. He gives his permission. In fact, he gives more than that. He gives his commission. He says, I want you to go. I need you to go. I'm commanding you to go. See, Christianity was never designed to be sedentary. It was never designed to be lazy. It was never designed to be static. It was always designed to be dynamic. It was always designed to be the process of going, of moving forward, of accomplishing new things for his kingdom. So Jesus, just like Elisha back in 2 Kings, Jesus gives his permission. Yes, you can be a part of it. Aren't you glad? For a God who allows us to be part of what he's doing. Aren't you glad that he doesn't just want to do it himself? That he says, hey, I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to play a part in building my kingdom. I'm so glad for a God like that who says, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to change the world. I want you to play a part. But he doesn't stop there. This is what's so awesome. The end of verse 20, he says, and surely I am with you always even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus didn't just send us. He says, I want you to go, and I'm coming with you. I want you to go. I'm giving you permission, but I'm not just giving you permission. I'm giving you my presence. I'm going with you. And then he empowers us. He sends us his Holy Spirit. So he gives us permission. He gives us his presence, and then he gives us his power. There's a sermon in there. We can't even get into all that right now, but that's some peas right there. I'm not even good with alliteration, but there we go today. Uh, 
But that's exactly what we see here in 2 Kings. Elisha is foreshadowing Christ. He's sending them, and then they say, hey, we don't want to go by ourselves. We want you to come with us. So Elisha goes with them. He's the type, the foreshadow of Christ in this passage. I'm going to take a real practical approach to this story here in 2 Kings chapter 6 because, again, it's not as dynamic as some. It's nothing really illustrious about it. It seems so simple and so plain, but I think God's got something for us in it. But think about it. Would you go see this movie? Think about this. The prophets go out into the woods. They start to chop down some trees. One of them loses his axe head. They get it back. Starring Keanu Reeves. Whoa! Right? Like, nobody's going to see that movie. You're not even catching that on Redbox. Like, you're not paying for that. This is such a simple kind of, why is this even here story in the midst of all this amazing stuff that's going down? Why even preach about this this morning? Well, here's what I believe. It's so amazing about this passage. See, God wants to do great things in this world. Does God care about the major issues of this world? Does he care about poverty? Absolutely. Does he care about war? Absolutely. Does he care about sex trafficking? Absolutely. Those major, major situations on earth, I believe, break God's heart. But in the midst of all the great things that God is up to, all the great things that he's working and all the things that he's trying to do to show his glory, to bring people to him, to restore people to one another, he cares about the little details, too. And I think so many times we get caught up in thinking, you know what? I didn't have a death in the family. I didn't just lose my job. God probably doesn't have time to worry about this little thing going on in my life. And here we have a prophet, this guy who, who he's out chopping down some wood. He's taking his axe, and he's trying to chop the tree. And all of a sudden, the axe head flies off. He loses it, and he's still just kind of steady swinging. You ever done that? Just kind of kept swinging away even though you weren't accomplishing anything. Just kind of going through the motions. Just kind of trying to do something to make sure nobody notices that you're not really knocking down any trees anymore. That you're not really accomplishing anything. Maybe you're still coming to church. Maybe you're still raising your hands and lifting your hands and worship. But all it is is just going through the motions. I think all of us have been there at some point in time or another. Hoping nobody notices There's nothing really changing in our life. There's no real power of God in our life. There's no real progress. We're not becoming more generous. We're not becoming closer to him. You see, this prophet had lost something, and it seemed maybe insignificant to everybody else. It seemed like maybe not that big of a deal. Just run down to Lowe's and get another axe head. There's probably a couple practical factors here. Iron in those day and that day and age wasn't as common. You couldn't find it as easily. He probably wasn't very wealthy. He was probably fairly poor. Most of the prophets were. He was a non-profit prophet. Uh, and so there, there's some realities there that we have to be aware of. But even in that wasn't a major deal. This wasn't a crisis. This wasn't like losing a kid. This wasn't like going to war. This wasn't like all the huge things going on around Elisha. But God cared about this axe head. God cared about this little insignificant detail. In my house, uh, every couple of weeks, we go into crisis mode uh, because my wife has an addiction, and I'm telling on her today. She's not here. I would tell her tell this story if she was here. Uh, she's home with strep throat. But uh, my wife has an addiction to chapstick. She loves chapstick. It is like the greatest thing in the world to her. She has like 37 things of chapstick. I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. Uh, and so every couple of weeks, she'll lose a chapstick. And it's DEFCON 5 in the Southern House. Like, it is, 
It is this major, major crisis. Where is my chapstick? Ripping up couch cushions, digging through the bed, like we're going through everything to find a 95-cent stick of lip gloss. And in my flesh, I don't care. Like, it's just chapstick. You have a whole drawer full of them. It's going to be okay. It's going to show up. Uh, But here's the thing. The chapstick is so insignificant to me, but she's not. And so when crisis hits for her, I'm going to step away from all these bigger things that I think I have going on. I got to pay a mortgage. I got to lead a church. I got a football team in the playoffs. There's bigger things going on right now in my life. But you know what? I'm going to push pause on all that, and I'm going to dig through some cushions. I'm going to look under the couch. I'm going to go around until I find my wife's chapstick because she matters. And how much more so does our Father in heaven care about the little thing that you lost that bothers you, that drives you crazy, that breaks your heart. How much more does he look down and say, you know what? That thing, that's nothing to me. I got 75 axe heads that you can't even imagine how amazing they are. But I care about your axe head because I care about you. See, our father cares about the little details. He cares about the things that are missing in our life. I say that because sometimes I think there's Christians who think they can only get God's attention when life is falling apart around them, when it is a major, major disaster and nothing else really matters. And I don't think that's the truth. I think God cares about it all. He says he knows the number of hairs on your head. He says he knows every time a sparrow falls, how much more does he know when something is lost in your life, when momentum has been suspended. Here's the reason I wanted to jump forward in this series to, to this passage. In chapter 6, we're actually going to go backwards to chapter 4 next week. But here's why I felt like we needed to do this today. Because I think most of the time we don't lose momentum in the cataclysmic events. Sure, sometimes that happens. Sometimes there's something disastrous that, that just throws our life completely off. But most of the time, that's not how it happens. Most of the time, we lose our momentum, just like this guy did, going to work. In the day-to-day little things of life, Swinging away, and that's when momentum starts to fall apart. Just going day-to-day to to your job. Just trying to keep your marriage together. Just trying to raise some godly kids. Just trying to pass the 10th grade. Just trying to avoid that temptation. Just the day-to-day little things of life, so many times, is where we lose momentum. I can't find anything in 2 Kings 6, 1-7 through that says this guy even made a mistake. We don't know. I mean, the worst thing that we could accuse him of was maybe being careless, maybe not paying attention, maybe not making sure that his axe head was fastened securely. But many times you can lose momentum with God, and it's not even necessarily your fault. It's not even necessarily a bad decision that you made. It's something that happened in your life, uh, and through no fault of your own, sickness came, something fell apart, something was lost, and now you've got to decide, are you going to keep moving forward? Are you going to find that momentum again? Are you going to allow that thing to stop you? Are you just going to keep swinging away? What do you think that moment was like for this guy? What do you think he was, was going through his head when he's swinging? He's knocking down a tree here. Guy over there singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Whistling while you work. I don't know. They're doing their thing together. They're having fun, talking about whatever games they played back then. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, his axe head is gone. What was that moment like? Did he look around? Did he try to grab somebody else's axe head when they weren't looking? Like, I wonder what was going through this prophet's head. Because that's what a lot of us do, right? We just put on the happy face. We go through the motions. We pretend nothing has even happened. 
Nothing's even been lost, even though we know we're not effective. We know nothing is happening. See, the axe head represents the power of God. The axe head represents God's effectiveness, cutting through the challenges in front of you. And and there's other passages in Scripture that talk about the need to sharpen the axe. we got to have a sharp axe. we got to make sure that the edge, the, the power of God in our life is sharp, that we are in his presence, we are close to him. He is continuing to move forward in our lives. But I'll point out to you that he didn't even lose the axe. The axe is the presence of God. The axe head is, is the power. He didn't lose the axe. The presence was still with him. God's still with you. God still loves you. Even when you've lost your momentum, he's still there with you. He hasn't bailed out on you. He didn't say, nope, I got to go with somebody else. God's with you even in the moments where you're stuck. God's with you even when you're in a rut. God's with you even when you're going through the motions. But a lot of times God's power is absent from our lives, just like this axe head was. So this isn't about losing God's love or his forgiveness. It's about being like the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2 where, where the angel writes the letter and it says, man, you've lost your first love. You need to be restored to that place of your first love. You need to be restored to that place of your effectiveness and the power of God. So for many of us, I think it's not that we're not swinging. It's not that we've stopped moving. It's that we've stopped being effective. It's not that you stopped being with your wife. It's not that you left your wife. You just don't love her the way you used to. It's not that you abandoned your kids. You're just not leading your kids the way that God has called you to. You're swinging away, but nothing's happening. No progress is being made. No trees are coming down. You're not building anything. You're just going through the motions. Let me illustrate this to you another way. You might be able to identify with this. I have C Spire. C Spire means a couple of things. One, it means that I have cheap cell phone service. Praise God for that. Two, it means that I drop calls. Uh, and so many of this has happened to people in this room. I've, you probably remember when I tell you this. Uh, but I'll be talking on the phone. I'll be at my house, in the car, wherever. And I'm just going. And, and I start talking, and I'm talking, I'm talking. I just really get into what's going on. And I don't even realize I dropped the call two minutes ago. Uh, and the, re- the way that I'll find out that the call got dropped is my phone will ring. And the person that I was talking to is calling me. And I'll look at it, and I'll be like, dang it. And I answer the phone. And, and when I answer, I'm going to ask some, some form of this question. Where do we get cut off? Where do we lose it? Where did it fall? I know you can't imagine me just talking and talking and talking with nobody listening. But uh, it's happened. Believe me. This is pretty much exactly what happens with this guy. He's swinging and swinging, but nothing's happening. He's wasting his time. He's flapping his gums. He's wasting his breath. There's no progress being made. And so he screams out, it's borrowed. You know, he cries out, I need some help. I don't even own this thing. And, and you know, the truth is, the power of God's always borrowed. He's given it to us. It's not our power. It's his power. Now, we've got authority to use it because he gave us the authority. But it's not ours. It's his. And that's why we can lose it. Uh, And so you get in a situation, and maybe you're not there today, but I bet you might be there at some point in time soon. It might just be a day where you get in a funk or a week where you get in a rut or a month where you just can't seem to pull out of it or a whole year where you go dry. I mean, I've seen people, I've seen Christians who have gone into dry seasons for years and years and years who have lost their momentum, who have lost the power of God in their life, who are just going through the motions. And it breaks my heart. And I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think we have to stay in that place. I don't think that we have to stay in that wilderness. I think we can push through and come to a greater place in our walk with God. Excuse me. 
going to keep my voice throughout this message. Then I'm going to lose my voice watching the Seahawks today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully not yelling at the refs or yelling at stupid players on our team. Hopefully celebrating victory. All right, so the question I want to pose to you in your life today as we spend the rest of our time together is simply this. Where did it fall? Where did it fall? Where was the point that you lost your momentum? What was the moment that happened? What was the situation that caused you to quit moving forward with God the way that you were before? Where did it fall? Because you see, when the prophet showed God the place where it fell, that's when God was able to supernaturally bring it back to the surface. Now, did God need to know where it fell? No. Elisha was the prophet. He didn't have to ask him where it fell. He could have just asked God, and God could have revealed it. Why do you think he asked the prophet where it fell? Because he wanted him to play a part. He wanted him to understand what was going on. He wanted him to be aware of what God was doing. So where did it fall? Where did it fall? For those of you feeling disconnected from the Lord today, for those of you who have lost your rhythm, who have lost your connectivity, who have lost your passion, who aren't quite at the same place with him like you used to be. You're not quite worshiping him as intently as you once were. You're not spending time with him the same way that you once did, or you are spending time with him, but you're not getting anything out of it. You're just swinging away. If that's you today, I want to ask you the question, where did it fall? Go to the place. Where do we get cut off? I'm going to read to you a series of questions that I put together that I believe the Holy Spirit is going to use to bring some things to the surface in your life. I think there's 16 or 17 of these questions. All of them aren't going to apply to you, but I believe maybe one, maybe two or three are going to apply to you, and they're going to help you see where did it fall? Where did you lose your momentum? Where did things start to go wrong? So listen clearly, closely, see if you can hear the voice of God. So I believe he can speak to you through this message. He can identify for you where it fell. And because you've identified where it fell, now you can reach out and grab hold of your momentum. Grab hold of God's best for your life and for your future. Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? First question. Did you enter into a relationship that you had no business being in? Maybe it was a dating relationship. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's the people you surrounded yourself with. But so many times, God's people lose their momentum. They lose their effectiveness when they enter into ungodly relationships. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends with people or be friends with people who don't love God. I'm saying, man, the opposite. We're supposed to be in but not of the world. You better be friends with some people that aren't Christians. But are those relationships holding you back? Are those relationships, are you too close? Are you in too deep to really be who God's asking you to be. Did you enter into a relationship you had no business being in? Next question. Did you shift a standard in your life that should have been set in stone? Maybe you had a standard. I will never do this. I will always do this in my walk with God. You had a standard, and it was set in stone, and you walked that thing out for weeks or months or years. And yet, at some point in time, you let that little fox come in, that little compromise come in, and you just started to tweak it just a little bit. You just started to, to sacrifice, to compromise in a small, minor way. You started loosening the screws a tiny bit. Maybe for some of you, that's where it fell. Next question. Did you start participating in conversations that you didn't need to be in? Did you start speaking about people or hearing others speak about people in a negative way, gossiping about others, maybe talking about things that, that you know are going to lead you into temptation? Did you participate in conversations you didn't need to be in? Here's one that happens to me. 
more often than I'd like to admit. Did you stop spending personal time with the Lord? Now, I've heard it said about pastors that many times we are starving bakers, that we're making bread for everybody else and we're not eating any of, any of it ourselves. And it's true, as a pastor, we can definitely get into that place where, for me, it's not so much that I quit spending personal time with the Lord, it's that I do the personal time with the Lord just kind of going through the motions, just kind of swinging empty and not really putting in a real desire, a real heart to hear what God has to say. I'm just kind of checking it off the box. Did you quit spending personal time with the Lord? Did you quit pressing in to his presence? You know, one of the reasons why we're doing this Daniel fast, why Melody and I decided to do this and, and invited everyone else along with us is because one of the greatest ways to sharpen your axe is through a fast. It's to really press in to God's presence. is to really do something above and beyond what you normally do. That's why I'm so excited, excuse me, that's why I'm so excited for the future of our church with what's going on right now with so many people jumping on board with this. Last count, I think we had 27 people who were going through the fast, and only like five of us are six, so we're not doing too bad. Uh, but uh, people that are seeking God, reading God's word three times a day, praying three times a day, man. If you've not done that, if you've not made that decision, man, it's not too late. You can jump on board. This, the materials are still online at citychurchob.com. Uh, if you can't commit to the fast, the food part's just not something you can do right now because of physical situations or whatever, jump on and get the Bible reading plan. Get the prayer plan. Press in. Sharpen your axe. See what God can show you, what he can do through you. Get your edge back, man. I'm excited to get my spiritual edge back. I'm excited to be as close to God as I've ever been by the time this fast is over. I'm excited for people in our church to be closer to God maybe than they've ever been in their lives. I'm excited for us to have that edge. Here's another one. Did you get lazy about attending church? You're not going to get your edge back by coming to church once every couple of months. It's not going to happen. Uh, man, and I know there's so many reasons why we can come up with not to be in church, but I think a lot of times we lose our momentum just separating ourselves from the family of God. Man, I'm so excited for you that you're here today. You know that there's a nasty storm out there. The temperature dropped 30 degrees in like four hours. You had every excuse this morning. Satan gave you every reason not to be at church, and you came anyway. That's awesome. You're going to recover your momentum by continuing to make the decisions like that. Here's another one. Did you convince yourself that your secret wasn't hurting anybody? Maybe that's where you lost it. You convinced yourself to that secret, that that thing that nobody sees, that it wasn't hurting anybody. You need to go back to that place. You need to pick that thing up. You need to get, get a hold of it. In the name of Jesus, get your edge back. It's a secret. It's hurting you more than anybody. It's holding your momentum back. It's keeping you from moving forward with God. Here's another one. Did you lose your momentum by saying no to something sacrificial or risky that God called you to do? Did God ask you to do something big? Did he ask you to step out and witness to that person at work or that person at school? Did God ask you to sacrifice something for his kingdom, to give something up for someone else, for the church? Did God ask you to get involved in something and, and you just felt it was too big of a sacrifice to make? I can't give that up. It's too risky. I'm not going to take that chance. And now you're wondering, why isn't God showing me his direction for my life? Why isn't he showing me the next steps for me to take? God's still waiting for you to take the last one that he knows you heard. Go back to that place. If that's where it fell, pick that thing up. I know this may not be the most exciting, encouraging word. I know it's real quiet in here today, but I want you to know I love you enough to ask you some hard questions. Where did it fall? I want to see you recover your momentum in the name of Jesus. There's another one. Did you stop walking by faith? 
start walking by sight? Did you stop walking by faith in God's word and his promises and his best for your life and start walking in the natural? The things that you see going on around you, the things that you hear, the things that others say. Now you're trusting human reason instead of faith in God. Where did it fall? Did you get bitter and stay bitter about an offense? Did you get bitter? Did somebody do something to you? And instead of releasing that bitterness, instead of giving that thing to God, are you holding on to it? That may be the place for some of us where it fell. Did you make a big decision in your life without consulting the Lord? Did you make a big decision, a big commitment, where you went and you found input and you found advice from everybody else, but you didn't go and ask God? I've done this one multiple times. Ah, This is the stupidest thing you can do. (laughs) Make a major decision and ask everybody about it. Ask your parents about it. Ask your wife about it. Ask your friends about it. Go to an internet message board. Ask people about it. Ask the whole world, Facebook, Twitter. You don't ask God about it. Man, you make a major decision without consulting the Lord? Maybe that's the place where you lost your edge. Did you quit fighting against an addiction or a temptation? It's been weighing you down for years. Did you finally just throw up your hands and say, I give up. I'm defeated. This is just who I am. This is just what's going to happen in my life. And you gave up the fight. That could be the place where you lost your momentum. This will apply to many, especially younger people in the room. Did you rebel against a God-given authority in your life? Maybe your parents, maybe a different authority in your life. But did you rebel against that God-given authority? How in the world do you think God's going to bless you if you dishonor your parents? How in the world do you think you're going to walk in God's best for you if you can't honor the mom and dad that you do see? How can you honor the God that you don't? thought I'd get an amen from a mom or a dad on that one or something. I thought somebody would be glad to hear me say that one. I didn't think it would be from the young people. But I thought somebody would be behind me on that. Man, did you dishonor, rebel against the God-given authority in your life? That could be the place where it fell in your life. Did you buy into the lie that God didn't love you anymore because you blew it one too many times? Did you buy into the lie that you were too far gone? That he just can't use you anymore. He's done with you. He's moving on to the next one because you screwed up one too many times. That's a lie. And you need to go back to that place. And you need to pick that love of God back up because it's still there for you. He still wants to use you. He still wants to empower you. He still wants to show himself mighty in your life. Don't buy into that lie. Is that where you lost it? Conversely, flip, flip side of that. Did you lose it? Did it fall because you started taking grace for granted? Started trampling on the grace of God. Started walking out and said, hey, you know what? God's going to forgive me no matter what I do, so I can just walk in this sin. I can just do whatever I want. Is God going to forgive you if you truly repent? Absolutely. But he's calling us to a place of holiness. He's calling us to a better place. He's calling us to move forward. doesn't mean that if you sin, give up. It just means if you sin, don't be content to stay there. Man, ask God to help you to move out of it. Almost done. Did you get complacent and start resting on past success? Did you start resting on the fact that, hey, I read through the Bible in 2010. You know, I read through the Bible in a year in 2010. That was a great year. You know what? It's 2013. What are you doing? I've made this mistake, too. Man, where I, oh, man, I was so close to God in 1999. That's a long time ago. Man, God's got a lot from... In my life today, I can't live off how close I was in 1999. Don't make that mistake. 
I skipped one right there. Uh, did you make some ambition in your life more important than your love for God? Some ambition, something in your work, something in your relationships, something in one of your hobbies. Did that ambition supersede God's plan for your life and God's will? Is that where it fell? Last question for you. Right there, actually, that was the last one. Where did you lose it? Where did it fall? I don't know if any of those resound in your heart. I don't know which ones speak to you. I know like four of them speak to me. I'm like, man, I should have this under control by now. I don't want to preach this. Uh, I know what God's spirit is revealing in my heart that I need to work on. I know where I can go and get my momentum back. Where is it in your life? Because I believe if you will just identify it, if you will allow God to bring it to the surface, just say, hey, okay, that's where it fell. And allow God to bring some things to the surface that you need to repent from, some things that you need to get right, some steps that you need to take to go back to that place. You can take hold of your momentum. You can recover it at the exact place that you lost it. Where did it fall? Here's the good news. The good news is this. Our God specializes in recovering things that are lost. It's what he does. It's who he is. It's what the cross is all about. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came on a recovery mission. It's who he is. It's what he does. In Luke chapter 4 verse 8, Jesus says, I've come to preach recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus came on a recovery mission. He came to bring it back. He came to show us where it fell and to help us restore that which was lost. See, Jesus is God's recover function. I told you our subtitle today is God's recover function. It's all about Jesus. Man, when you press into Jesus, when you get into his presence, when you walk in his power, when you allow him to wash his blood over you and forgive you of some mistakes of the past, when you allow his Holy Spirit to speak to you and reveal to you where it fell, that's when God can do the supernatural. And he can make that thing float. I know you, this is going to be really, really elementary, but an axe head's not supposed to float. It's not the way it works. I don't know if you ever watched, like, Will It Float on uh, David Letterman. No, it will not float. It sinks, okay? But through the supernatural power of God, it can come to the surface. And the thing that you think that you lost, the thing that you think you're not supposed to ever see again, the thing that you think has been stolen from you, it's been taken from you, it's been ripped from your life, the supernatural power of God can bring it right back. And sometimes he's going to bring it back exactly what you lost, and sometimes he's going to bring you something better. Some of you might be in mourning over a relationship that you lost, and God's got a better relationship for you. You're not going to recover that person. You're going to recover something better. But some of you might actually recover that same relationship. I've seen it happen both ways. So I don't know the specifics of how the recovery is going to look, but I know we serve a God of recovery. And I know that when you come to Jesus and you allow him to speak to you and you allow him to, to reveal to your heart where it fell, you say, yeah, that's it. That's the one. He can raise things from the depths to the surface. He can raise the dead things back to life. He can raise the things that you think have been lost and bring them right back to you. Aren't you glad we serve a God of recovery today? Let's pray.